Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Artcast, your fortnightly arts review podcast brought to you by Kaz Murray. Hello. Vicky Kosmalska. Hello. And Laura Leonard. So, keen listeners amongst you will have noticed we've got a new voice on the podcast. So, Vicky, would you like to introduce a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So, Laura and I went to UCL together and I studied history of art there as well. And since then, I have very much moved away from doing that and now work for a comms agency in the city, which couldn't be more different to where I thought I was going <laughs> to end up in life, but never mind. These things happen, right? And so I'm very excited to be doing something that takes me back to my artistic roots Perfect. and um, gives me a bit more focus when I go to art galleries, because otherwise it's so easy just to potter around and sort of be like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. And not really give it that much thought. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. nice. What's for lunch? Uh, exactly. <laughs> So for this week's episode, we went to go see Space Shifters at the Hayward Gallery. Back at the Hayward, loving that brutalist <laughs> yeah, They can't get rid of us. Yeah, they just, just can't it. get rid of us. So as per usual, we're going to do a quick intro. And Vicky, as our newest member to the art cast, do you want to take us away and tell us a bit more about Space Shifters? Sure. For those of you who haven't seen it advertised, um, Space Shifters at the Hayward is a exhibition focused on sculpture and installations that challenge our understanding of space and perception. It's a compilation of 20 artists, including Anish Kapoor, Fred Sandbank, Yayoi Kasuma, Ronnie Horn, and Richard Wilson, working within what the Hayward describes as optical minimalism, but we'll discuss that later, <laughs> playing with materials, particularly glass and mirrors and metals, and even engine oil, to shift between the fluid and the solid and to really question through these materials what it is that we're seeing and the space that you're in. The Hayward states the exhibition engages with the act of looking through the whole body and our interaction with the work becomes just as much of the art as the piece itself. It's an exhibition in which, as gallery goes, we really complete the process and elevate the object to art. And I think one of the things that, certainly for all of us that came through, was that interaction and that personal experience of interacting with the art. Certainly my kind of initial reaction to the exhibition was great. This is really experiential, it's really mm. playful. I felt like they kind of invited you into that space to play in it, to explore the artworks, to see how they shifted the space around them, but also how they kind of shifted their interaction with you as you moved around them. And there was a kind of like childish sense of joy about that sense Definitely. of discovery. It was just so fun. Yeah. I was kind of quite surprised because I did go into the exhibition with some worries because I don't know much about sculpture and I was like oh is a lot going to go over my head or like, I'm just not going to get it but actually it wasn't that thinky it yeah. was quite sort of feeling yeah. yeah and I kind of lost track of time as well and kind of came out being like oh that was a really fun experience yeah as opposed to I didn't get it yeah <laughs> okay well that's always good, good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I guess more it's more to do with your interaction with it than actually understanding what the artist is yeah about. definitely and that's where the focus lies but also understanding I think one of the things that we all spoke about when we were there was actually you start breaking down the boundaries between yourself and the other gallery goers and you start striking up conversations and laughing at each other because yeah, of the way that you're interacting with something and definitely. you're questioning 
are you looking at yourself or are you looking at something else and how do you like you react to this thing and yeah um, I think they they placed the Anish Kapoor really really yeah. well like as soon as you came into the gallery so it's a work of his called non-object door and it's basically a rectangular cuboid which is standing vertically and on each of the four panels there's an inverted mirror so it sort of acts like a hall of mirrors so as soon as you came into the gallery you were kind of greeted with this hall of mirrors which everyone kind of recognizes from their childhood and so you could see people coming into the gallery and just really like shredding off those adult layers those kind of formal expectations they might have had from the gallery because they're suddenly just lunging in front of their own reflection in the middle of the gallery which is just really good fun at each other yeah quite a lot of time being like i don't know like laughing being like oh what's going on there yeah move and then all of a sudden like the sculpture would change yeah and the kind of world the way that you're interacting with the space around you changes as well and also over the course of making this podcast the last couple of weeks like Kaz and I have really realized that we approach exhibitions in quite a different way and so where I don't know whether it's because I have more of an art history background and she's got more of a history background but for me like it always start I love what I love about an exhibition what I get really excited about is being in front of the artwork exploring it interacting with it standing in front of it thinking about it it always kind of starts with the work Whereas you have more of a, a kind of historical... Love a bit of context. Yeah, you love to contextualise, which is yeah. fantastic as well. So you kind of go to an exhibition to learn about a fuller picture, to learn about an artist's biography or a mm. kind of social context. Definitely. And so arguably this exhibition kind of really played into like the things I, that I love from it. And from I actually didn't mind. Like I've actually got the booklet and I read a bit of it, but by and large, I didn't look at it. I was like, oh, what's this next piece? And so actually yeah. it did encourage me to step out of that. Yay. I don't understand the historical social context. Like, yeah, I must go and study here. the text box. Yeah, I'm going to look it up on Wikipedia. And oh like, my God, Kazi, did you feel really liberated? It was very like, liberating. <laughs> throwing your guide up in the yeah, air. Yeah, exactly. Like, gay abandon. Shrugging off my history degree <laughs> and just going with it. It was great. But I guess that also plays to the sense of the physicality of the works that we were looking at, right? So... And also your own absorption within that. Yeah. Because so much of the material was reflective. Yep. And you end up becoming part of it and your experience of like, just being is with it. Ma- is that maybe I just really liked it because it was just me looking at my own yeah. reflection. <laughs> <laughs> Which a lot of people were doing. It's the perfect exhibition for Instagram. And everybody was busy snapping away. Yeah. Thinking so that- about... Yeah. how they're going to position this as their next post. Yeah, there's there was a massive mirror by an artist called Dieppe Hein, which was I probably, what, like 40 foot in the terms of its span? And it was basically two mirrors at a 45 degree angle and they're rotating on a back wall so that you kind of get glimpses of the rest of the gallery. And they really kindly popped, you know, three little, very comfortable kind of bean bags that you can lounge on as you watch the mirror go by. But it was also the perfect kind of insight into loads of other people exploring the exhibition. And what you could really saw was people everywhere taking photographs of themselves next to this work or reflected in this work. was reflecting the Anish Kapoor sculpture and what was amusing is I could see a girl like taking a picture of herself and being like that was me 10 minutes ago doing yeah. that like, and doing that and not necessarily realising that I might have been watched that other people but, were watching yeah, you at the same and potentially time. being like look at that narcissist over there yeah <laughs> but we did kind of have some frustrations as well didn't we particularly Vicky yeah Vicky <laughs> I'll keep my rant brief if the Hayward Gallery is serious about and it it put it down in black and white at the beginning of its little guidebook. If it's serious about the act of looking involving the whole body and it being multi-sensual in that regard, 
they let you into a space that from the outset seems playful and engaging and tactile mm. and then they shut it down <laughs> basically tell us yeah. what happened Vicky. <laughs> you can't hold this is, off this is just safe, safe space, space. <laughs> you can't hold off for touching the art mm. well it was a particular work wasn't it that we all were really enjoying exploring yeah. um so it was by alicia quaid alicia quaid she'd kind of created these massive frames that you walk through and a kind of like little a grid yeah. or an interaction of different massive frames and it's a it's a series of frames which also include mirrors so you yeah. can't really tell if you're walking into a into mirror, mirror or, or into, into space. Like something else and then yeah. she puts objects between them that disappear as you go through the mirror and they merge and yeah. it's very clever the way she does it yeah and, and you, really enticing you're very much enticed in you to are, come and play. it becomes this sort of frame around you and you walk through it you do want to touch things. Yeah. And you, and well, particularly, particularly, there is that kind yeah. of glistening cherry of like, well, for me anyway, because I'm my aesthetic is not really very like grayscale minimalism kind of. There's a lot of like industrial materials yeah. in this exhibition, and it's not really my vibe. But in the middle of this artwork, there is this gorgeous piece of wooden kind of sensual, warm material, and I got right in front of it in the middle of the artwork, and I said to Vicky, "I really want to touch it," and she said. Just touch it. Just touch it. It's like the devil on your shoulder. Okay, I'm going to touch it. And I did. But everything in the exhibition so far would indicate... That you could. That you could. Yeah, and we were standing inside the artwork as well. We were right inside it at this point. And then to have someone bark at you, don't touch the art, please. You're like, well, hang on, what are the boundaries? Yeah. It's it's, really confusing from a gallery-goer's perspective in terms of... They want you to be involved and they want you to be like active and participating in the arts, but then only on, but only on their terms. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, and it and sort of turned to me actually and said, Well, the spell is broken. Yeah, it's yeah. in like, I, kind of because it is like you're walking into this world and nothing makes sense and your eyes are deceiving you. And then to have someone saying, Sorry, you're having too much fun, stop yeah. it. What seemed very kind of progressive and maybe subversive of that kind of traditional formal approach of a gallery of having yeah. everything behind glass and not being interactive you know it seemed it seemed so exciting that that was all being broken down and then all of a sudden it was like in an instant just you're back in that back in that exactly yeah. with those formal kind of behavioral codes and it yeah. wasn't that only that instant because like later on there was another piece that involved kind of walking through these glass panes that had different shading and I'd walked through it and thought oh that was quite cool I'm gonna walk through the other way see what it's like and I got to the end and one of the like attendants almost ran over to me and was like um you're going through the wrong way and I was like oh. I mean you've made it sound quite like nice and calm it was yeah, much I'm more being on the front yeah. yeah it was almost like, like stop I'd... you're going the wrong way it was yeah, it was quite it was confrontational I know yeah. I was like I thought it was almost like I'd taken a marker pen out of my bag and was yeah. about to like be like Kaz was here or something <laughs> and it yeah and it just seemed a bit kind of over the top and also like yeah. I wanted to walk through the other way like even if the artist intended it to be experienced in a certain way when you put work out into the world to some extent you have to relinquish control of how people engage with in, it but complete and but also I, I mean I don't want to speak on behalf of the artist but if I were an artist in an exhibition like that I would say I want them to be able to the, mm. the viewer is so much part of the art the work in that yeah. situation that you want them to do and behave and feel free yeah. to touch, walk round this way, that way, whatever it yeah. is, because that's their experience of it. Yeah. So, and so yeah. to have someone say, you can't do that, I think massively takes away from 
the piece of art in and of itself. Yeah. And it has this idea that there's a right way to do art. Yeah. And that if I wasn't as comfortable with the gallery space, that could have actually been quite off-putting. So I think in terms of also being inclusive. Yeah. And, and accessible to lots of different people. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... Yeah. I think that potentially someone else, I found it a bit annoying and slightly amusing. Someone else might have experienced that differently. Because and decided not to yeah. go to a gallery again. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're going to Hayward, fun yeah. sponge. Yeah, <laughs> well, um, I think as well what's interesting, just to do a bit of a casi and contextualise a little bit, is Excellent. that there were a lot of minimal artworks in the exhibition yeah. and, and it's one of the kind of common trends that the exhibition guides like kind of really draws out as well is the optical minimalism of all the works. And if you kind of think back to kind of where minimalism comes from it has such kind of egalitarian ideals in terms of coming like straight after abstract expressionism which was so much about the presence of Rothko and Pollock and de Kooning on their canvases it was about their own emotionally wrought but incredibly kind of seen as genius kind of marks that they made on their canvas and then minimalism comes afterwards and it's purposefully devoid of that kind of artist touch and it's purposefully it moves the sight of the artwork from the creator creating it to the viewer exploring it but for someone to come and give you rules and regulations about how you're meant to explore it completely undoes the kind of egalitarian ideals of the movement there's something for everyone and it's how you experience it that is what matters, not yeah. a prescriptive thing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that was, yeah, a bit of a downfall. Yeah, a bit of a Debbie Downer, but yeah. ploughed on nonetheless. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Took a lot of selfies on the way <laughs> as well. Close. So the sculptures use lots of different kind of quite modern materials, like sort of steel, engine oil, glass, and in the spirit of kind of creating illusion and challenging perception, there was a lot of almost transforming that material to make it look like it was something different. So there was like a really amazing piece by Ronnie Horn, which kind of looked a bit like a, the best way I can describe it is a very big candle, but it was made out of glass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the top was really polished to the point where we spent ages looking at it being like, is it glass? No, I think it's water. No, it must be some kind of silicon. And then we looked in the book and it said glass. But my eyes are telling me one thing yeah, that I again, don't know that's what, what you it want is. To do in that moment, you want to go out and touch it and be like, my eyes are deceiving me. Yeah. Which is completely the point of the exhibition. The idea is that you can't trust yourself in that situation to know what you're looking at. So why can't you go and touch it? Yeah. yeah. I just want just, to go and touch it. Yeah, just and so then tactile. I know. It was really similar to the Richard Wilson piece where he it basically flooded a room full of engine oil and then had this walkway that went out into the middle of it that you went out kind of one at a time. Yeah. And so it's the, a vast work. It fills the entire room. Yeah. And it's was just so like spacey because you walk out onto this walkway and the, it doesn't look like oil. It looks like eternity is kind of like below you and it kind of almost getting like vertigo looking at it and again it took me age to be like this is oil but it's like playing an illusionary trick yeah Yeah. on the eye right in front of me and again all I want to do is like I just want to dip my hand in I want to dip my hand in I'm (laughs) gonna really regret it if I do Um, but it really like drew you down into it in a way but obviously and the lady was telling us wasn't she that they actually do have at least one instance a day of someone just plunging their hand (laughs) in (laughs) I mean if I had my way I might have got like a complete like dunked my head in (laughs) we would have like pulled you out like a bird from an oil slick (laughs) yeah exactly but it was just and it was amazing because the oil is so flat that it reflects the ceiling and it's just the whole it's pristine the reflection isn't it it's incredible crystal and it completely transforms that space. And the path itself starts, the incline on it starts going up. So as you're walking into the oil, 
the barrier comes lower and lower and lower. So that by the time you get to the end of it, you really feel like not only a sense of vertigo because of what you're saying in terms mm. of the perception of the reflections, but also that you're standing in this point of real vulnerability, surrounded by oil. The lady who was there sort of as the invigilator was saying, we've had people clutch the sides of it because yeah. they're not sure. They want something to hold yeah, on to. Because you, you can't trust your own eyesight and that sense of standing at the edge of a precipice is really yeah. something kind of floods into you. Yeah, it's really exposing. Yeah. Kind of, and because you have to go one by one, if there was like a group, there'd be yeah. like safety You'd have some support. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think because the oil is so reflective, by the time you're at that end of the um, walkway, it's, it surrounds your kind of 360 yeah. degree vision and, and it's so reflective reflective it doesn't look like a surface it looks like an abyss it looks like you can't tell it's like Mm. a liquid there it just looks it just it's entirely disorientating and I think there's something else that we haven't mentioned is that quite a lot of these sculptures are just feats of engineering and construction because basically the lady was explaining the invigilator that they had to build a tank in the room and then fill it with oil and they actually had a crack at one point which is like stressful they had to do it all again (laughs) they had to do it all again and with that but also Alicia Quaid that being like this massive construction that's almost mathematical just even like the feat of engineering and kind of working out how to construct these pieces and using materials in different ways yeah part of me was just like quite in awe of that as well yeah absolutely one thing that Laura continues saying throughout the exhibition like yeah this is really interesting I'd like a bit more colour in it (laughs) and I remember when you saw that you're like oh there's a bit of red over there by the corner it's like yes I can see some red in the reflection finally some colour but yeah it's all a bit too industrial for you yeah it was a little bit I mean I I really like I said I really enjoyed the experiential nature of it and I also found what we were saying earlier about the selfie kind Mm. of approach of everyone that's to me was really interesting but the kind of artworks and materials themselves didn't kind of light me up and they're not very aesthetically rich like bloody loved it (laughs) (laughs) call me gaudy but I want a little bit of gilding (laughs) some lapis lazuli please there was like one piece which was like a curtain of a little uh, gold gold bead Mm. and literally Laura Magpie was like oh this is a bit more like it I was running through it going yay (laughs) whereas I'm like oh just look at this like really modernist brutalist like (laughs) you're probably just admiring the concrete floor of the yeah yeah I couldn't get past the Hayward in general yeah I was in the foyer (laughs) we talked a bit about the fact that we took lots of selfies in it but there was one artist who really yeah who really played into that particular theme as well a couple of the artists in the in the program had spoken a lot about trying to kind of get rid of the materiality of an artwork and stop it being something which is behind glass or something which is elevated on a plinth or a pedestal and make it something which is more kind on the same level as the viewer but it kind of felt like in this exhibition that maybe we'd swung too far the other way like so we've come away from the artist's ego we're kind of looking at artwork on the same kind of playing field but because everybody was using everything in the exhibition as a great instagrammable moment to take a self-portrait of themselves i took so many yeah and it's on my instagram profile well there you go case in point (laughs) the artwork actually then becomes more of like a framing device for the viewer so it's like am i there to look at the artwork or am i there to just consider myself in the space and think about how i look next to this artwork or in the reflection of this artwork yoyoi kasama did an amazing her piece was really cool it was an installation of a in a room and it was lots of spheres made of silver and they were kind of the size i guess of like a beach ball Mm. and they're all kind of clustered around on the floor in little in different formations but she called it Narcissus Garden or Garden of Narcissus yeah and talked a lot about kind of self-obsession or self-obliteration 
like falling, literally falling into oneself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I took a selfie in one of those. <laughs> I just thought I've got to live up to stereotype. Well, yeah. What's the point? You Absolutely. Know? I mean, it's what she wanted. For exactly. You. It's the yeah. artist's intention. Yeah. And it sort of explained that the first time they did, she did that kind of type of exhibition or installation. Sorry, she actually sold individual balls as like your narcissism here for sale. Yeah, I think that's so cool. It was just really. Was funny. it the Venice Biennale? Yeah, I definitely yeah. bought one. Definitely. Yeah, me too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like which take, takes us really nicely actually into what what piece would you take home? Which artwork would you take home from your? From oh, your yeah. experience of the exhibition. It's quite hard with this one because you can't mm. really fill your living room with oil if you want the Richard Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I it's been a nightmare. I not live with that smell. No. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be very good for you, actually. Health yeah. and safety. So I was thinking I might take the Kusama because it's something you could kind of, like, put in your garden. <laughs> Just, you know, as a moral tale, actually, actually for people. True. Yeah, yeah. Ed- educational. Yeah, absolutely, um, in the age of Instagram. I'm surprised you didn't go for the gold curtain, Laura. <laughs> 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 only yeah. bit of colour in the exhibition yeah um, I think I'd take the Alyssa Quaid I'm not sure how I'd set it up in my living room yeah but I just it, you could set it up in the garden that's true yeah I need um, a yeah. bigger garden I'm sure my neighbour won't mind we share a garden I've like, I set up an installation but I just it's the piece I probably spent most amount of time with and I just really liked how you know you could like I lost you guys actually at one point I was reading my programme I looked up and you disappeared and I had to find you and you were hiding behind a double way mirror uh, two sided mirror but I just thought, I thought I'd finally really... shaken you off. Yeah, no. exactly. I lost her. No. There you um, appeared again. But it was also, I think she was making a really clever point around perception, how we look at the world through frames. Mm. And sometimes it's a reflection of ourselves. Yeah. That's what I really thought with that. I, mean, I think that's true of the entire exhibition. Yeah. I guess the, the flip side of our current sort of generation and how we perceive the world is actually very much in our own it's a self-reflection yeah. effectively mm. and we all live in these echo chambers of looking at ourselves and people like us and having experiences like us that mm. you sort of get more and more absorbed in terms of yeah that's yeah narcissist so you don't just go to an exhibition yeah, anymore no. you go to think about yourself in the exhibition exactly. or present yeah. a version of myself of like yeah. i'm someone who goes to exhibitions look at me being yeah. uncultured but yeah, but what she does is like... Or she... I'll start a podcast about them so everyone knows <laughs> how much I like exhibitions. Oh, my God. oh we need to, do we need to rename and be like the narcissist? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should add it to the bio. All about us, Maybe. Yeah. I think the artwork that impacted me the most was the Richard Wilson, but obviously not practical to have in the home for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you live in an oil tanker. Unless you do. Do you think you have to like top hard. it up? I'm sure you... Yeah. It probably evaporates, doesn't it? Yeah. I have no idea. Sorry, anyway. segue. Um, but I think for me, the Anish Kapoor, mm-hmm. to your point in terms of breaking down boundaries, they were really, I think the Hayward in putting that in as the first exhibit was really clever because you do that playfulness and that sense of breaking down the boundaries between people and getting people chatting and mm. being really interactive. Yeah. For me, really just set off the way the exhibition should have been. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that I kind of that moment of coming in and that hopefulness of what it was going to deliver at the end yeah. for me is is captured by that yeah because it felt immediately like a different yeah. exhibition it's actually quite yeah. interesting because the title is non-object but then it's brackets a door yeah. Yeah. so it was almost like opening up a new an dimension entrance, wasn't it? Yeah. so there's one artist I just want to do a bit of a shout out for um, Charlotte Pozanesca she basically had done these um, they looked like basically industrial vents and was kind of like cleverly playing with the space and I just thought it was part of the Hayward 
<laughs> calorie space. <laughs> and it was only when I was looking through the brochure later that I realised I'd walked straight past it. Well, we all did, didn't we? Yeah. And I was saying to Kaz and Vicky earlier about how I'd been at a summer exhibition once at the Royal Academy and I'd stood for about 10 minutes in front of a thermostat <laughs> wondering <laughs> if it was an artwork that was part of the exhibition or not. So I loved the fact that she was playing around with that. And there was probably someone watching you being like, oh, this performance piece is really <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets very meta but yeah so Charlotte you kind of chameleoned your work very well and kind of played around with stumped it stumped us all yeah mm. absolutely extra bonus question kind of speaking to your point Vicky about the, some of the rules and guidelines that we were given by the Hayward if there were no rules and there was no invigilator what would you guys what would you guys Ooh. do in the exhibit intriguing what would you get up to Vicky um, Vicky Go for it. So the Ronnie Horn, definitely. I wanted to have a good old feel of that. Mm-hmm. Because it's just so inviting. With the I really textures. wanted to lick it. You wanted to lick yeah. it. I would, just, I, I would be quite Pardon. happy with Pardon. just touching it, actually. Okay. But yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'm really going for it. <laughs> it did look like jelly. I can see where yeah. you're coming yeah, from yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It looked tasty. Because it was kind of like a raspberry kind of colour as well. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was kind of purpley. It was like lilac. Fruity. Yeah. Fruity. Fruity. Like a yeah. pastel. Yeah. Mm. Fruit pastel. Anyway. So I can understand that. And the... Um, Yoyo Kasuma, where it's all those balls and they're sort of, they're just at that sort of distance away from each other that they have that knock-on effect and mm-hmm. really want to just go up and kick one and oh. then what, they bounce around the whole room. I don't know what I would do. Maybe something to do with that massive mirror rotating. Like, I just love the idea of something, doing something scandalous in there, but I can't think of anything scandalous enough. Scandalous enough. I think I definitely, if I... Touching the oil. Yeah, probably would have climbed into the oil I think that would have been you know if I could have had a shower afterwards that would have been uh, quite fun and yeah I guess what else would I have yeah, I'd have I walked think I back and touched... forth between that exhibit the little sculpture that I got told off yeah. for I'd just be doing laps of that <laughs> <laughs> the Hayward are either like genius mm-hmm. in terms of giving us this full sense of freedom mm-hmm. and breaking down the convention of don't touch the artwork and then probably sitting somewhere observing us as we then go into spasms as we're told that we actually have to behave like we're in a conventional art gallery Mm. and then not touch things and it's a weird dichotomy of like I'm being invited in yeah literally walking through these exhibits but then also pushing you out yeah exactly hot and cold but also maybe it's like us imagining the creators sitting there in a room watching us move yeah. around the exhibition. Maybe that's another layer on our egos, yeah. girls. <laughs> like, so yet again, the, the exhibition is about us, not about it's the really, artwork. Yeah, it's all about Maybe. Us. Time for art news. Time for art news. And this week we just couldn't ignore the Banksy story. Yes, absolutely. Cool. So I will give you a little rundown in case you've missed that bit of news, not seen it on your phone. So Banksy created quite the stir at Sotheby's a London-based auction house, during the auction of one of his most renowned pieces, A Girl with a Balloon. Immediately after its auction concluded, where the winning bid was 1.4 million, an alarm sounded and the work appeared to self-destruct by passing through a shredder that had been built into the frame. The work that had just been sold was left hanging, half-shredded and in ribbons. There's been quite a lot of speculation about the stunt, uh, particularly about whether Sotheby's were in on the joke or whether it was just Banksy being Banksy. However, a video posted on social media by Banksy stated that the device had been secretly built into the painting a few years ago in case it was ever put up for sale. Since then, Sotheby's have confirmed that the winning bidder will continue with the purchase 
at the original price, 1.4 million, and it's now been given a new name, Love is in the Bin. Okay, well there's been lots of chat about it, so that's, that's why I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about this piece, uh, this particular work. Well, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think how much of a kind of two fingers up at the art world it is, I'm not really sure because I, I, I think Banksy's incredible. I think he's really intelligent. I think, and I think this stunt is a very clever spectacle, but it does just as much for Sotheby's PR as it does for him. Yeah. Um, and he also collaborates quite closely with the auction houses who he produces work for. They sell yeah. his work. And perhaps, you know, I don't really mean that as a criticism to him necessarily because, you know, he's got to make money, he's got to live. And he does really interesting things in the street space as well. But yeah, I, I don't know. What did you guys think? I, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, Sotheby's have claimed that they knew nothing about it. It may well be the case that they knew nothing about it or the detail of what was going to happen. But knowing Banksy and if what is being reported is true, that they accepted the work of art as being his without necessarily have, taking it out of the frame, which is completely unheard of. Oh, really? Within the, Would they, like, the completely check it? Yeah, they catalogue yeah. everything. They, and, and they I would one examine shredder it possibly, in the like, frame. Yeah, exactly. I would have thought they, they would have x-rayed it as well yeah. at some point. Mm, but, yeah. Maybe. But who knows? So, carry on. so I think from a commercial agreement sort of perspective... I think, as you said, Banksy is so intertwined in that process that on both sides there is either implicit trust between the two parties because they collaborate so often mm. in terms of selling this work that they don't feel the need to examine his work to the extent that they would otherwise, or maybe they weren't on it. I think it's really interesting. So first of all, I think what's interesting about this piece is Banksy, his origins being in street art, that is mm. quite a transitory, fleeting art form. Mm. It's not meant to be permanent. You know, one minute will be there, the next minute. It's also not meant to be framed. Either. Exactly, <laughs> which is it. Like, which is also really interesting. And there's like stories of um, Banksy pieces being kind of covered with glass or people removing mm, whole yeah. wall- walls. And so, yeah, it's like really interesting. I think because it's like his practice is supposed to be quite transitory, yeah. and then it's like entering into Sotheby's. It's like mm. kind of yeah. could kind of quite conflicting in some ways. And I think there's also an interesting point about him as an artist potentially being a bit anti-establishment, well, not a bit, very anti-establishment, kind of maybe pointing out hypocrisies or holding things up. Then when that artist kind of becomes establishment because they're so popular and their yeah. work is valued so much by the wider world, how do they then find that place? Yeah. And what's yeah. their voice as being anti-establishment? But, but I'm even this work, work isn't yeah. anti-establishment because yeah. it's become even more influential because of the fact that it's undoing well, it itself. Creating, it's, it's it becoming becomes the canon. establishment again. Yeah. Exactly. And so also, I think that's really interesting how an artist navigates that. And yeah, that's what maybe that's what kind of triggered in my mind when yeah. I was watching this. And I think I think he is obviously a very intelligent and very kind of well-read individual like he fully understands that our historical canon and I think this isn't really a new idea like in terms of selling something which would otherwise be rubbish so um because it's got like a name on it that yeah exactly because of your celebrity status and so it's something obviously Warhol did with his factory that he didn't produce any of the artworks himself personally but they you know sold for and he called his practice you know he called his studio the factory for a reason Mm. you know but also Piero Manzoni I think he's the best example of it and I think it was like 1961 where he sold loads of cans of his own (laughs) and then marketed it as his artist artist 
And at the time, it was he said that the value of it should be the same price as the price of gold at the time. So at the time, it was sold for thirty-seven dollars when he first sold it. When it was moved, when one of the cans was most recently sold at auction, it fetched two hundred seventy-five thousand euros. So quite disgusting. It, I mean, oh. but it's people don't actually yeah. know whether this actually in the can so or not. Tactile about that? Would you? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah don't want, want to plunge your hand that. in that. Yeah. <laughs> Barely want to look at it, let alone. Yeah. Anything else. <laughs> so I kind of feel like all this kind of like outrage or like this public spectacle that has come off the back of this Banksy act. Like, yeah, it's interesting, but it's not mind blowing. It's also it's not, like, yeah, it's not new. It's not new. It's not new. Yeah. Um, what is new though, and I think um, has completely foreshadowed, been foreshadowed by Banksy and his, his stunt, is the fact that um, British painter Jenny Savile achieved the world record price for a living female artist with her self-portrait propped, which went for £9.5 million. Blimey. So much money. I know, but it's just... I think the thing from my perspective is that, A, we still live in a society where male activity takes the precedent, Mm -hmm. and secondly, we still live in a society where a trick like this yeah, a little a joke. stunt a joke mm. can also take the precedent over the real achievement of yeah. this artist mm. yeah that is very true but kudos <laughs> to her I mean yeah. what an awesome achievement and I guess that's actually the lasting message I feel that anyone should take from this whole affair is that actually we should credit where credit's due yeah yeah. that was that's a real true. achievement <laughs> Yeah, that was Space Shifters at the Hayward Gallery. And when is it on until? It's on until the 6th of January. Go have so fun. Go have Touch fun. everything. Yeah. Break all the rules. Really piss them off. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and it's also, just to say, I think it's a really good exhibit for kids as well. There's yeah. lots they of children. They were loving and it, they? were loving they? it. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the reflective. So but there's a lot there for them. It's a great exhibition for people who aren't into art as well, I think. 100%. Yeah, take, take the grumpy people who don't want to go and look at paintings because I think they'll get quite into it yeah yeah and so we'll be back again in two weeks time and next time we're talking about annie albers at the tape modern yes yeah can't wait okay super yeah it's your particular interest isn't it kaz is big into her textiles yeah i love a bit of weaving and i'm going to be really interested to hear what you think of it laura Mm, it looks rather Mm. grayscale Great. But in the meantime, please rate, review and subscribe if you've listened to this podcast. If you want to get in touch and tell us if you've been to the exhibition or if you've got any questions or comments, you can contact us on the helloartcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at theartcast. And I still don't think we've got a Twitter account. So still but one day on. we might. One so. day we might. <laughs> Baby steps. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.